Well, if this is your first uh, time here uh, with this uh, in general or with uh, the, the book of Jonah, our series Jonah, uh, I'll do a quick run through here. Jonah was a prophet in the Testament, and he deliberately disobeyed God. God had called him to Nineveh, and he decided to jump ship and go the opposite direction, catch the closest flight and get out of there, and God had other plans. He didn't give up on Jonah. Um, and this, uh, as he was sailing out, he sent a storm, and thinking that this would get his attention, he decided to fall asleep downstairs, and so it got really messy. The, the crew of the ship were worried. They didn't know what the cause of this was, and somehow they figured out that it was because of Jonah. And they did what any rational crew would do. They picked him up and threw him off of the ship into the water and then was done. For maybe for them, but not so much for Jonah. Jonah didn't die. He was swallowed by a fish. And I even looked up this on the internet. How many people survived getting eaten by fish? Because you never know, right? Didn't find too many people. <laughs> Odds were pretty much against him. Uh, in regards to digestive juices, lack of oxygen, and compression, uh, not a real place you want to be. Pretty much the definition of a bad day for people like Jonah. He was in this fish and probably thought he was going to die. And he had this beautiful prayer that Ike led us through uh, last week. And his, this beautiful repentance that happened within this fish. And then he was uh, vomited out onto the sea. A beautiful picture there as well. Uh, pretty gory, but uh, that's just the way it is. And there he was on the shore. Now, oftentimes we read this so much that it loses its flavor to us. And we often think that he was vomited out through the perfect handspring, the perfect dismount, landed there, and he's all ready to go, right? Uh, I don't think it happened like that. Uh, when I reread this, I could not... I, those of you who know me, I'm really into Christmas. And I've got a few people with me on that side that, woo, Christmas all the way, got a tree up in October. And, and, and I love Christmas movies. My favorite Christmas movie, and it doesn't even matter what, whether the Muppet version to the cartoon version to real life, I love the, the, uh, the Christmas Carol. This whole idea of Ebenezer Scrooge uh, being this grouch and he was visited by these three spirits. And after the last spirit visits him, he wakes up in his bed, fully expecting to die, but he's not dead. And he is ecstatic. Like he drank five Red Bulls. This old man is running around the house, sliding down uh, uh, stairs, and just ecstatic, yelling out for people and getting people's attention. He, he couldn't believe he was alive. And then he, he made a commitment, his true repentance, and he was going to go bless people with what he was blessed with. I see almost like Ebenezer Scrooge coming out of this, this fish, this whale, and, and just being ecstatic and being like, now what, God? Like, now what, right? And so that, that's what I see. And so I see Jonah now being, okay, let's do this. So starting at uh, chapter 3, verse 1, let's dig through here. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call, and call out against it the message that I tell you. 
Now, when you read this, a light bulb should be going off. You'd be like, wait a second, deja vu. I heard that before. You're not crazy. Don't worry. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, Now that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. That is beautiful. You know, you read scripture from end to end. God is very, you cannot pin him down. For some people, uh, it doesn't take a whole lot for judgment to come upon them and, and, and they die. Ananias and Sapphira, they, they withheld money and they lied to the Holy Spirit. They were dead. Jonah takes the first flight out of Dodge, takes off, deliberately, I mean, full on disobeys God. And God still chooses to, to not give up on him. And, and he passes through this disgusting mess of a fish. The projectile vomited onto land. And, and, now he's, and now he's given another chance. And God is like, yep, don't worry. The contract still stands. Go to Nineveh and do this. And he does it. He obeys. Obedience. Through that tough time, Jonah comes to the conclusion that I need to, I need to do this. And he, and he feels inspired to do it, which is uh, commentary after commentary I read on this. They all say, this is what a true conversion should look like. The energy that, that Jonah has is like, Nineveh, no problem. Let's go. Let's do it. And, and he goes. Repentance looks like. I know it sounds kind of weird for me to say this, but over and over again in my own life, the lives of my friends, and, and in the lives of the people I read through, through scriptures, I see the potential, the great spiritual potential that tough times bring. I don't know if you guys can feel for me. Uh, I know a lot of you guys can because I know a lot of stories that break my heart that, that are, exist right here in this congregation. Isn't it strange how those tough times really draw you close to Christ? Really draw you close. You don't know when the next paycheck's going to come. You don't know if, you're, if um, cancer's going to go, go away. You don't know if your back's going to get healed. You don't know if you're going to get the job that you desperately need to, to make ends meet. And in that mess, in the constriction of life, like in the belly of a fish, you somehow have this most beautiful worship service. And I'm not saying here, don't get me wrong, to go out and put yourself in a situation where you become totally dependent on God, I, I think that that is, goes without saying. But I just want to point out that I believe that God tries to take those situations, those messy, constricting situations, and he's beckoning us to call, him closer, call us closer to him. Matthew eleven thirty 30 says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he says that because he wants to trade with you. You know, your stressful uh, situations, your, your huge, obese schedules he's saying let's switch mine is easy let let me allow me to take that from you but he calls us to obedience obedience is key to god the word obedience doesn't sit very well with us though when uh, pastor Ike told me what i was going to preach on i was really hoping for something explosive and something full of action and epic uh and then it's like obedience it's like, oh, man. Anything but obedience, right? It's like obedience is one of those. For some reason, it, ah, you know, it's like you want to be able to spread a message like, yeah, go out, be free, be yourself. But then scriptures is about being that. 
But it has to be through the lens of obedience, right? Obedience means compliance with someone's wishes in order, uh, or orders or, acknowledge, or acknowledgement of their authority. Compliance with someone's wishes or orders or acknowledgement of their authority. I doubt none of you woke up this morning praying to God, Lord, teach me to obey. I love to obey. I pray that my parents would ask me to do more things to obey or my job, you know. Thank you, boss. I want you to go clean the toilets. Thank you, right? I doubt none of you are like that. However, for some of us, we're, we're called to that. Well, all of us are called to be obedient. I'm just thinking in terms of cleaning whatever. But anyways, uh, we have been taught to be our own person. And Jesus Christ teaches us to die to ourselves. So there's a, there's a contrast in beliefs here. We're taught to look out for number one, to do what's right for me. I remember getting this email from Apple. Apple, uh, right before Christmas, they're like, uh, oh, hey, make sure you check off the number one person on your list. You. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, we'll buy myself an iPad mini, right? And, and it's like so clear. Media is so clear. They want to condition you to be me-focused. Me, 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 me. Because when you're me-focused, you like to spend money on yourself, which is really good for business, right? We have to be careful. We have to watch out for that. We have to uh, ask God to discern right from wrong theology. And I say theology because this mentality, we'd be naive to think that it doesn't creep in. It does creep into the church. It creeps onto our pulpits, and we need to be able to, to hold it to attest to the word of God. When a spotlight is on us, it is not on God. Obedience happens when we focus on God's will, not ours. It's not about, and we have to be really careful here, because as soon as we start preaching about obedience and, and doing what God tells us to, we like to kick it in high gear and do, oh yeah, I want to do what God wants me to do. So you, then you end up doing a bunch of stuff. And if you're doing a bunch of stuff for God for the sake of just obedience, then you're missing the whole point. It's not about just doing the stuff. God's not asking us to be obedient to just do stuff. That stuff comes as a result of following him. Because you're overwhelmed by his love. You, you have this relationship with God. And that's why you do it. To think that, that being a youth leader or youth pastor... And, and doing all these things and thinking that just that act alone is being obedient, then what you're doing is you're denying all of Christ's work on the cross. To follow Christ is to fall in love with him, accept his grace, and live it out. Live out that uh, with, with love, through faith. It's not just a religion, okay? Now, I want to say that very carefully. What we believe is not just a religion, you can't compare it to other religions. It's a relationship, and there is the difference. God wants your heart, not your works. Because God can get the job done. God could, just like he saved Nineveh, he could, he could do all the work that me and you are striving to do. He could do the all the blink of an eye. So often... We, we act like he needs us in order to make these ministries work, right? God can do it. He's beckoning you to come alongside him and do this. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 1 says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. 
Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who, uh, who do not know that they do wrong. Hosea 6.6 6 says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Matthew 5.23 says, Therefore, if, you, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there's a member, th- um, and there remember that you your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. This is so key to God, over and over and over again. God wants your heart. He wants obedience to flow, to bleed out of your heart's condition. Obedience comes as a result. I, sometimes I like reading from different versions of the Bible. Every once in a while, I whip out Eugene Peterson's The Message, and I love the wording sometimes he has in it. If you uh, turn to your Bibles in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 50, you get something really interesting going on here. Chapter 12, 46 to 50. Okay. So Jesus, let me set up the scene here. Jesus is uh, speaking to a group of people. He is in full tilt here. He may have even been close to a punchline, okay? And then he's about to get visitors. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my brother? Uh, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand... Uh, Toward the disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. I love what Eugene Peterson did. I was reading from the RSV. Sorry if you guys have the message. You're like, no, you lied to me. No, I'm sorry. Reading from the RSV. Um, But in the message, you know how the the, uh, publishing companies have put that subtitles on there. For this one, it says, obedience is thicker than blood. And I love the way that paints this image. Now, I don't know exactly what uh, Jesus' mom wanted from Jesus and why she felt compelled to also bring his brothers. That indicates to me that probably was an urgent message. We don't know what that message is. And maybe there was a child in the village who was choking on some unleavened blood. Uh, bread or something like that. I I don't know exactly what. Probably was a big deal. Maybe somebody needed healing. All we know is Jesus took that scenario and he turned it into a lesson on the value of obedience. That's that's huge. We learn here that obedience outweighs human DNA connection. You know what that means? That means that you didn't just come to church this morning. You came to a family reunion. Me and you are closer than my own brothers and sisters. Actually, I don't have a brother. My sisters, my parents, we're close. We're tight. Some of you are like, ah, oh, man. <laughs> Hi. Uh, which to me is a beautiful thing. We often say something like a heart condition is a bad thing. And physically, most of the time it is. However, my prayer is that we would have a heart conditioned to God and to obedience. That we would follow him and that we would have that that spirit that Jonah had when he, he came out of the whale, the Ebenezer Scrooge complex. Why obey God? Why? 
What's a good reason? I guess the shortest and the simplest reason is simply because God said so. He's God and we are not. Even if he didn't love us, let's just say hypothetically, if Jesus never came, he didn't love us, but he had the ability to create atoms, to put the stars in the universe together, to create matter by speaking. Just with that type of ability, if he says obey, we would have to obey. So many of us say, why do you obey? Well, I, I obey because oh, Jesus loves me, you know, which is a good reason. Jesus does love you. That is all true. But simply put, he is God. And in proportion to God, we, we should do what he says. Here's the cool part. He does love you. He sent his one and only son to die for you. And he beckons us close to him. And he gives us second chances. And as our heart becomes overwhelmed with God, we become inspired and compelled to act on our fate. Another neat thing about obedience that stuck out to me is obedience actually also protects us. We often don't think in terms of protection, we think of obedience, because we're conditioned to think obey, bad. But obedience is, is a form of protection God also pours out on us. They did an experiment with children. It's called the boundary experiment. They took a bunch of children, and they put them on a playground, and there was no fence around this yard. They're like, go, have fun. You know, so they got out their pens and their papers, and they just started furiously writing, and they studied the behavior of these children. What they found was really interesting. These kids, you would think that, woo, no fence, I'm out of here. And they're running around, right? But they didn't. What they found is they actually stayed close to the outside boundaries of the playground. Not only that, but they weren't even that energetic. They're just sort of hanging out and walking around and thinking what's going on. And then all of a sudden, they built a fence around this property. And then they found a, a, a very different reaction from these children. They were grabbing soccer balls and running and playing right close to the boundaries of this fence. Their, their behavior was different. They were using their imagination more. And I think about that, I'm like, wow, isn't that so true with their own lives? You can often see even with families, parents who, who let their kids do whatever they want, you get a very different reaction to the parents who say, okay, listen, I love you. I want you to trust me, but here's certain guidelines. I find that I, when I study families, I see families, those families are the ones where, where the, the children thrive. And we don't get that bit of, we don't get a, a much different reaction when we think in terms of our spiritual lives through obedience. I believe that uh, being obedient to Christ does the exact same thing. Li living in the confines of God's will is the safest place to be. And you can tell when you're in it. Living in disobedient sin is infected with fear, insecurity, and a sense of loss. And even though it makes sense sometimes to, to free yourself of God's commands and call to, to obedience so that you, maybe you can have room to breathe, but in that scenario, you will find yourself suffocated with the lack of truth in the world. We need, we need to be obedient to God. 
God could have just left it at that. He could have left it at a simple, bold, verbal warning, be obedient. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. Jesus ripped into our reality. He stepped foot into time and space. He put on flesh. He was in subjection to God's will. And even though he was 100% God, he was also 100% human. Try to figure that out. A human who subjected himself in obedience to God's will. Jesus is the poster boy of obedience. Being obedient. In Philippians uh, chapter 2 verse 8 it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on the cross. That's not always easy. And when I read Mark chapter 14, 32 to 42, we see a very powerful element to Christ's obedience. 14.32. And then they went to a place called uh, Gethsemane. And he, say, he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with them Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it, was, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. When we pray, do we pray like that? Do we, do we ask God, you know, do we look at our situation and say, you know what, this really sucks for me. But if through this belly of a fish, of my situation, if you get glorified from that, then, then bring it on. Because I love you that much. Because I look at your son, I've seen what you've done, and simply you were God. Jesus here is clearly struggling. Uh, sweating blood. Blood capillaries are breaking, seeping into his sweat glands. He's done it. He's demonstrated for us. He said, follow me. I'll do it first. I'll, I'll make a path. You just follow in my footsteps. He's asking us to be obedient. He wants your heart, not your works. He wants relationship, not religion. We need to cultivate that relationship by, by obeying God. John 14, 20 says, On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. If we keep his commands, we are in God, but we do those commands out of love of Christ. Let's keep reading here. Uh, let's jump back to Jonah. I think we're at verse, uh, verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and none of us shall be overthrown. I'm pretty sure he was expecting a lot of people to go and probably end his life at that moment. But, he said, and the people of Nineveh believed God. 
They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. I'm sure that blew Jonah right off his seat. Okay, I'm sure he liked his life. Being a prophet had its perks. So he thought probably going to Nineveh, doing a completely contrasting message would mean, ultimately would mean death. But he gets the exact opposite uh, scenario. Reading on, from 6 down to 9. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published, and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let, let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? And I love this part right here. Who knows? But he's allowing the possibility for God to work. They didn't even have Jesus at this moment. We have certain uh, amazing things that we can, we can have trust in. And we, we have these things. But Jesus wasn't on the scene yet. So they didn't have this same... Uh, reassurance that, that we do. He said, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Man, what faith is that? That he would make a national uh, decree like this that people would have to follow to repent. It's amazing what happens when you humble yourself. When was the last time that you or I ever prayed like that to really feel the weight of, of the sin in our lives? When was the last time you wept? I mean, we, obviously we don't put sackcloth and ashes on anymore, but sometimes I wonder if that would help. Solidify it. Let it sink in. We need to clean up our lives of sin. Psalm 66 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That's a scary place to be. And that verse terrifies me. I want God to hear me. We, we, need, to, we need to heed the, the call God has on our lives. We often pray, God give me strength to, choose, to not choose sin. I've caught myself praying this. God give me strength and courage to not choose sin. And I think God is in heaven shaking his head being like, I gave you the strength. I gave you the courage. I gave you the whole tool shop of, of arsenal to not choose your sin. We need to, we need to stop putting the onus on God to, to not choose the sin and not being disobedient to him anymore. And we need to just start doing it. We need to start going. We need to clean up our lives. Jonah's, Jonah coming out of the whale was totally in tune with God. And we can be too. For him it took a whale, but at least he was ready to go. What does it take for you? What's it going to take for you to totally submit yourself to God? I know today I've been using a lot of really unfriendly words like obey and submit. But the God of the universe who loves you and sent his son is asking you to do that. What's it going to take? Is it going to take a whale? Is it going to take a bankruptcy? 
Is it going to take your marriage hitting the rocks? Is it going to take you breaking up with your boyfriend? What's it going to take for us to come to that place? If you're sitting here and your relationship with God is not where it should be, or you're thinking to yourself, man, I want that type of security in my life, I invite you to reconnect or connect for the first time with God, the God who loves you so much that he sent his only son to take your place on the cross. If you need to talk to somebody about it, I would be more than honored to pray with you. We have Pastor Ike up here too. We have, we have staff who, who, who love you guys. We've got lots of leaders in this church. We've got deacons. Talk to somebody about what's going on in your life. Because God wants us to, to thrive in our relationship with him. And even though these guys had a second chance and God has given us a second chance, the reality is we don't know what's going to happen from here. We may not have the same second chance. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to thank you so much for, for sending Jesus and modeling a perfect representation of you. That he came, put on flesh, and showed us what real love was. And God, even though obedience is a hard pill to swallow, God, I just pray that we would be able to, to digest that. And that we would heed your calling to go out to, to be the good Samaritan. And, to, and to, to the poor people, to the people hurting, to the person who's struggling right next to us, God, I just pray that you, you would beckon us, that you would give us that calling. And I pray that you would just continue working in our hearts, Lord. Thank you so much for who you are and what you're about to do through us. I pray these things in your holy, precious name. Amen.